Hi, I'm Micah Frankel. Welcome to Cage Minds MMA Show. I'd appreciate it if you guys took some time and checked out the website, cageminds.com. And also, this week, it became official, you can now get your Cage Minds apparel at nmproshop.com. So check out both of those great websites. Let's get to talking about some MMA action. We'll start with last week. There was a Bellator and PFL. It was a double header Friday. We'll start off with Bellator middleweight title fight. Gagar Musasi defending against John Salter. I thought this was going to be a repeat of a performance that we had seen from Musasi in the UFC when he took on Alaire Latifi and his jab would do the work. Instead, Salter would be able to push forward, get this fight into the grappling realm, and even win the first round, according to most people. But into the second and third round, Musasi became wise to the tactics, was stuffing the takedowns, was forcing Salter down into on his back, and was lighting him up with ground and pound, eventually getting the TKO in the third round, so Gengar Musasi retains that middleweight title, does it in emphatic professional fashion as you know Musasi normally performs at. What's up next for the champion? Well, it appear that Bellator already had that lined up. Austin Vanderford was right there at the analyst booth talking about the upcoming title fight and they were promoting their number one contender. It's not that Austin Vanderford hasn't earned this opportunity. It's when you compare his just barely double digits of fights to the nearly 50 wins. I think this was win number 48. Yes, win number 48 for Gegard Musasi. It's just not comparable when you think about technique. When you talk about amount of experience. Cage time put in. Training in techniques put in. There's just so many advantages for Gegard Musasi that will... Austin Vanderford, according to the Bellator rankings, is the obvious number one contender. I believe he has one, maybe two wins against the top ten. Bellator has presented us with rankings, and in doing so, they really need to now justify the way they have those rankings set up with having ranked fighters competing against one another. Maybe a foreign concept. Most likely not. We know what's up next for the middleweight title, and that'll be Austin Vanderford challenging Gegard Musasi. It's going to be an uphill battle for Vanderford. We know that grappling is going to be his best way to get the victory. Optimally, he wants to get the takedown and get on top. We saw how that worked out for John Salter. You're going to have to be able to mix it up and hope kind of for a Hail Mary that you're able to land a shot that Musasi doesn't see coming. But that doesn't happen often. The champion looks like he's well on his way to an illustrious reign here in Bellator. Quite possibly the only thing, honestly, that I think that could thwart Musasi would be if Rafael Lovato Jr. is clear to return and the former champion who vacated the title is able to come back. He was able to dethrone Musasi the first time. Who knows what we could see a second time. And also, free agency playing in with Bellator. You don't know what kind of interesting matchups and challenges they're going to present. But the current roster, 
This looks like a field that is set up for Musasi to be able to run through. We saw the return of Andre Korshikov, also on that Bellator 264 main card, taking on Sabah Hamasi. And you saw a little bit of everything. Takedowns, flying knees, that stellar jab, and it was all domination, one-sided, in favor of the former champion. Korshikov picks up his 14th, a now record, the most victories in Bellator's welterweight division. Now belongs to Andre Korshikov. He believes that he has put himself in title contention with Douglas Lima and Michael Venom Page set up to meet in Bellator London. I think that you're probably realistically seeing Korshikov be two fights away, but the former champion is well on his way back to another title opportunity. Talking about title opportunities, it's a possibility that we did see a number one contender crown at 135 pounds. Huffion Stotts had more effort, more energy. His wrestling was cleaner. His scrambling was on point. And not a lot of people believed he could do it, but he hands the decision loss to Magomed Magomedov, and automatically, right there, he took the opportunity and rightfully proclaimed himself the best Bantamweight in the world. You have to talk the talk in this industry, and we know that. Stotts took the opportunity perfectly. It's been a question on everybody's mind. Will Stotts take on his teammate, the current champion, Sergio Pettis? Do we get that battle? I'm sure they've had many of them in the gym, but do we see it in the Bellator cage for the title? And instead of advocating for that championship opportunity, Stotts took his spotlight and instead pitched a Bantamweight World Grand Prix, which that obviously caught the attention of Bellator President Scott Croker, who is more than interested in that idea. When you have names like Stotts and Magomedov, who doesn't lose anything really from what was a very competitive fight, you have the former champion in Juan Archuleta, the current champion in Sergio Pettis, a James Gallagher who keeps making names, and Apache Mix who's chasing him around. Easily, I just gave you six guys, Bellator and their Bantamweight division. It's one of the best divisions that they have. If they want to do a Bantamweight Grand Prix, it would be more than entertaining. If they want to give Stotts what he earned, and that is the world title fight against Sergio Pettis, that would make all the sense in the world also. I'd be in favor of the title fight, but a tournament's all the more fun too. And speaking of that, we will have some news on a guy who was supposed to make his debut in the light heavyweight Grand Prix. That'll be coming up in just a moment. But before we get there, we also got to talk about how the main card opened up. And it opened up in a big way with Davian Franklin making a statement. The 3-0 fighter taking on 15-0 Everett Cummings and... Really, we all wondered what kind of 15-0 and 0 that was for Cummings heading into this fight. Ten seconds in, Davian Franklin, maybe I'm over his else, maybe it's 14 seconds in, with that sidekick attacking the front leg to the knee. 
follows it up with a head kick, throws a straight left, the right hand, Cummings is down, and Danberg Liotta is jumping in before ground and pound strikes can even land Davian Franklin with the destruction. He is ranked in the Bellator top 10, and I want to see him against Jake Hager. I want to see him against somebody else with a number. Because so far, in these four fights, we haven't seen Franklin pushed. We haven't seen him tested. We haven't seen him in danger. And I think we need to see him pushed as much as possible. It was a dynamic finish. Bellator either just needs to keep him more active to build him up as this phenom that he is with these finishes, or they need to get him another ranked opponent and do it ASAP. Now, I said it was a double header. At the same time that that Bellator event was going on, you also had the PFL. PFL 2021 event number seven. That's event number one of the playoffs. And this one was featuring lightweight and welterweight action. Get to that main event first off. Start up at the top. It was a fight that had much intrigue. The 2019 welterweight champion, Ray Cooper III, taking on the former Bellator champion, Rory McDonald. Some hoped this would be the final. We got it in the semi-final. And in surprising fashion, we thought maybe wrestling could play a factor. But it was the wrestling of Ray Cooper dominating the fight. Many people thought, would it be Rory McDonald's? We saw how seamless his ground game was in submitting Curtis Melender. Everybody agreed it was a robbery when McDonald lost to Glazen Tebow. All of that was just fueling Ray Cooper. Cooper, who was flawless throughout his regular season, who was dominant, came in and did the same. Showed his physical strength dominance, the fact that nobody wants to stand in the pocket with him because of his punching power, and was able to get his hips on point, stonewalling the McDonald takedowns, to where McDonald was basically just pulling guard in the second and third round, just relenting to the fact that he was going to have to fight off his back, looking for a submission, hoping to get the victory. Ray Cooper advances to the finals where he's going to get the rematch he was looking for. Magomed, Magomed Kiramov does what he does and outrests Sayabu C in the other semifinal. It was dragging C to the ground every time, and Magomed Kiramov relentlessly with his ground and pound, his top pressure. I feel like this one, the rematch, and obviously we're talking about the betting line, going into the finals on October 27th, I feel has to be in the favor of Ray Cooper. Magomed Kiramov won the 2018 finals when the two met up. A injury in the 2019 finals, or 2019 semifinals, quarterfinals, took him out of the one-night, two-fight deal. And now it appears this season that Kiramov is also trying to battle through a pretty severe knee injury. It looked to be compromised throughout this fight, but he was able to teft through it. So I'm thinking Ray Cooper III is going to be the favorite going into the finals. And on the lightweight side of the action, in an absolute war, we saw Clay Collard and Hushman Fio. It was Collard with the 
beautiful jab. It was collared with some great body kicks. It felt like it was an all-collared first round. The second round, this is to what my eyes were watching, was a much closer round. And in the third round, Matfeo was letting some bombs go. Wasn't really landing as much, but was applying a lot of pressure. Well, Collard, already feeling he was up two rounds, was doing his best to pop, pop, poke, and not get stuck in the pocket. Surprisingly, we go to the judge's decision, and the controversial winner is Hushman Fio, who apparently won the first round on a pair of judges' scorecards, unbeknownst to everybody watching as he was getting jabbed up. So what happens in combat sports, it's the attempt to finish the fight, as judges have described it, and Manfio gets the credit for throwing the harder punches. And the earlier <clears throat> semifinal in the lightweight division, Loki Radovov versus Alex Martinez, was deja vu with their first meeting, but ended up with a different result on the scorecard, as this time the Rajabov control was rewarded, unlike the first meeting where it was the Martinez effort that got the scorecards. So you have Hushman Fio, Loki Rajabov as your lightweight million dollar final for the 2021 PFL season. Had a couple interesting things happen on the prelims. Returning to America after a couple fights in Poland and in Russia. Brett Cooper looked absolutely amazing. Now down at 155 pounds. Looked light. Hands looked quick. And it only took two and a half minutes to get Tyler Hill out of there. Also a huge win for Michael Lombardo taking down Kyron Bowden. Those calf kicks have changed the game. And it was just three of them before the leg of Bowden was totally compromised. In a maneuver of genius... First time I've seen it, Michael Lombardo, after Bowden went down from the calf kicks, was trying to grab Bones' leg and punch in the calf. Trying to punch the injury, doing whatever he could to inflict damage. That was wild. Hopefully Lombardo finds himself in a tournament in the 2022 season. Now we're going to turn our attention over to some headlines. I believe I'd already told you guys, due to a gnarly foot infection, Sean Brady was out of the August 28th UFC Fight Night co-main event against Kevin Lee. A replacement has been found, and Kevin Lee is going to take on Daniel Rodriguez, the big punching welterweight, all of 170, who has shown good submissions and an incredible striking. We'll deal with Lee, who we've seen. Wins by head kick and an incredible wrestling intent. Fine announcements. Alexander Hernandez versus Leonardo Santos. A top 30 lightweight matchup has been added to the UFC Fight Night on October 2nd. A top 15 ranked heavyweight matchup has been announced for September 4th. Number 13, Tom Aspinall, is going to be taking on number 15, Sergei Plavlich. That one's going to be awesome. Two incredible prospects right there. The winner will definitely be heading towards a main event opportunity. And then for the September 18th UFC Fight Night, number 14 ranked lightweight Arming Tashurian is going to be taking on Christos Yagos. A couple other bits of MMA information to throw out there. Former Bellator women's featherweight champion Julia Budd 
is currently exploring free agency and has said she is talking to the UFC and the PFL. Maybe she goes up to 155 pounds for a PFL tournament, an opportunity to take on Kayla Harrison, an opportunity to win a million dollars. Both of those sound intriguing. Signed with the UFC, there's fights with Amanda Nunez, there's fights with Holly Holm, there's fights with Felicia Spencer. There's a few featherweights out there, but there's a few big fights out there for Julia Budd. You return to Bellator, there's an opportunity to rematch Chris Cyborg. Intrigued to see which way Bud goes, and we know that way will probably be the most lucrative opportunity. I'm kind of feeling like the PFL or the UFC would really be fun to see her in, as we've already seen these Bellator matchups take place. Habib Nurmagomedov hasn't been in the news recently. Let's put him back in there. And he signed a contract. Yes, everybody, he has. Don't get too excited. It's not for MMA. <laughs> the Dagestani will be playing football for FC Legion Dynamo, a third-tier Russian football squad. Interested to see how the former lightweight champion performs on the field. This is kind of like in a Michael Jordan succeeding in basketball and going to baseball. Nurmagomedov is now going after the sport he loved as a kid. Sean O'Malley versus Frankie Edgar is being discussed. That also leads us into Stuff Said This Week. Stuff Said This Week, Sean O'Malley has said, I take the easiest fight presented to me because my paycheck is the same at the end of the day. The UFC wants me to be taking these bigger fights. I need to be getting these bigger paychecks. When you are a young fighter trying to build your brand, it hurts me to say, but this is actually probably the right line of thinking. You need to get the wins, you need to build up that popularity, have impressive performances, and then once you build up the fan base, whether they've been giving you the big fights or not, you will be put in that position because there'd be a ground swelling for it at that time. It's a good thought from a Sean O'Malley who is very well liked, does have a fan base, but it really is, from a journalistic point of view, time that he stops handpicking his fights and takes on these big opportunities because we need to see if he's that kind of martial artist. And doing what he does best again, Conor McGregor is making waves in the media. He's had back and forth exchanges with Daniel Cormier recently. That one not so much interesting because it's commentator versus fighter. I mean, DC did end it with the Connor. Keep that energy up the next time you see me, which we're all pretty sure Connor won't do, right? We we know how he uses his words, his words to the best of his ability. But then he also started hunting for title fights. And with Connor McGregor's fame and popularity and those pay-per-view buy rates that he generates that are a very real thing, a very real number, how much money he makes for the UFC. When he starts talking about title fights, that possibility is very realistic. And we know when Connor McGregor's talking about a third championship opportunity, a third title around his waist, he would be talking about 170 pounds. What, is it going to cut off an arm and a leg to get down to 135? No. He's talking about 170 pounds. And when he's saying he could start the champion, I think that that drew some ire to where Usman replied with, next time you're going to talk about me, at me, 
be quiet before I have to have Poye Diaz or Nirmagameda finish you again. I'm not quoting him word for word. I don't understand where Conor McGregor is coming from. He is a huge draw. He is a massive draw. The loss to Poye, well, it's a bad look. Well, most of us in the media and a lot of pundits may think that he is on the downhill side of his fighting career. 1.8 million pay-per-view buy rate would suggest that the fan base is still there with you, Connor. The fans still believe. They're still buying hook, line, and sinker. In, until we hear that a Connor McGregor pay-per-view flopped, it feels like he still had the fan base with him. But as he's continued to be more belligerent with ridiculous antics, this was a guy who would get in social media battles, undeniable winner. Against Daniel Cormier and Cameron Usman, not the quickest on the mic normally in that narrative, not the quickest to the trash talk, went 0-2, and that's two more losses this year that Connor's going to have to live with. Should take the time, heal up, fully heal up, because obviously now the mental side of the game ain't even coming through because he's not even getting guys where he used to. That's a sad sight to see. Now what's going to be fun, though, is the action that we have upcoming this weekend because it's three nights of fights. You get it Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Coming up on Thursday, it's back to the playoffs. It's event number two. So that would be event number eight overall of this PFL 2021 season. And coming up this week, it's the women's lightweights and the heavyweights as they've been paired together all season long. The main event, um, being two-time judo Olympian, the only women's lightweight champion the PFL has known this far, Kayla Harrison taking on Jenna Fabian, who's 4-1. Harrison steamrolled through this regular season, two first-round wins. Fabian has three of her four professional wins by way of knockout. Of course, Harrison coming in as a huge favorite that's just to be expected with the kind of dominance that she's displayed so far in the PFL. When we look over at the heavyweights men's semifinal and the co-main event, you got the number one versus number four seeds also, Bruno Capazzola versus Jamel Jones. Jones qualifying for the playoffs in the final event, getting a first round knockout in his lone regular season opportunity. Well, Capazzola won both of his regular season fights first round knockouts, and in all, all 12 of his wins have come by knockout, 8 in the first round. Well, Jones, 12 wins, 8 by knockout, the former CFFC heavyweight champion with 7 knockouts in the first round. These two guys throw hard, they throw often, they come to finish, do not blink, they're both Naturally light heavyweights who are very agile, swift-moving heavyweights. I love seeing these guys that don't cut weight. They're both beasts. This one's going to be explosive. The other women's lightweight semifinal, Larissa Pacheco, 
who met Kayla Harrison in the finals a year before and had both of her regular season wins by first round knockout. Takes on Taylor Gerdado. Gerdado, a pair of decision wins in her pro career. Again, the much more veteran fighter, Pacheco, is going to come in as a huge favorite. She's had game-changing power. The money, smart money, is that we get a women's lightweight rematch in the final. Our other men's heavyweight semifinal, Denis Gotzlov, 27-6, takes on Antti Jilin, 18-4. Both European fighters come in with a vast skill set. Jilin, 7 submissions, 7 knockouts. Will Gutzlov, double digit submissions and knockouts. These guys are both finishers who were impressive throughout the season. And I gotta say, of the three fights, I expect that one to be the most grueling. And on the prelims, a couple more heavyweight bouts. Henan Fayada returns, the 6'10 Brazilian. You also have Mohamed Reis versus Carl Sihuf Nanatafa in women's lightweight action. You got a couple of debuters. You're going to have Amanda Levy versus Cynthia Vanessa. Move on over to Friday. You got Bellator 265 in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Main event heavyweights Czech Congo versus Sergey Karatanov. Congo, big power when he lets those hands fly. We know he likes to work in the clinch. This is Congo looking to rebound from the split decision loss to Timothy Johnson. Cost him a title opportunity. Karatanov is returning to Bellator. His last four fights have been overseas at home in Europe. And he is on a four-fight win streak. That's four fights. He's had two boxing matches, two MMA fights. All four have ended by knockout. Karatanov has his last three wins in the cage by knockout. A technical striker who likes to work behind his jab. It's going to be interesting to see if Congo wants to play the striking game, which we haven't seen frequently since his Bellator career. Or is Congo able to enact that clinch wrestling heavy game that he's been utilizing? In the co-main event, it's a title eliminator at 145 pounds. Unbeaten J.J. Wilson versus Adam Borish. Wilson coming off of a knockout of Pedro Carvalho. That was his third of career. He also has four wins by submission. He's taken on the Hungarian Adam Borish. Borish has rebounded from being submitted by Darian Caldwell to win his last three. The last win, most recent, coming over Jeremy Kennedy. Borash, he has four knockouts, six submissions. And Bellator has already said that the first challenger to A.J. McKee will be the winner of this co-main event. Feature fight, welterweight division. You have Logan Storley versus Dante Shiro. Story, a dominant wrestler, incredible ground and pound. He's looking to rebound off of a split decision loss to now Bellator welterweight champion Yaroslav Amoslav. Well, Dante Shiro, a LFA and one veteran, is back to the big show after back-to-back -back finishes, taking out Victor Moreno with the guillotine and stopping UFC vet Kenny Robertson with ground and pound. The Bellator 265 main card will also see a heavyweight bout between Big Show Vets, PFL veteran Kelvin Tiller versus UFC vet Marcelo Glom 
Both guys, heavyweights. They have punching power. Also very good submission games. 140-pound catchweight bow unbeaten. Dornell Lugo, flashy striking, is going to be taking on the wrestling savvy Keith Lee, brother of UFC's Kevin Lee. On the prelims, Fabio Aguiar, 17-2. Nine of his 14 finishes are knockouts, taking on Taylor Johnson, a monster wrestler with an incredible rear naked choke. Always willing to brawl, Arizonian Mike Hamill takes on former LFA champion Bryce Logan. So those are the prelims I'm most intrigued by. Then we'll move over to Saturday where it's UFC Fight Night. Prelims on ESPN2, that main card on ESPN, all available on ESPN Plus like it always is, right? You have top 10 middleweights meeting in the main event. Jared Cannonier, number three, versus number nine, Calvin Gastelum, the former Ultimate Fighter winner who's fought for an interim middleweight title. Cannonier has been a complete wrecking machine since coming down to 185 pounds. This is a guy that's fought in the octagon at heavyweight, light heavyweight, and now middleweight, three and one. He's returning after 10 months away, recovering from a broken arm. He was on the precipice of a title opportunity. Adesanya told him, you beat Whitaker and I'm giving you the title shot. And Cannonier got his arm broke, blocking a kick. And then the rest of the fight all went in the former champion's favor. Robert Whitaker put it on Cannonier, And we saw maybe the speed of a smaller, lighter 185 was what it took to affect Jared Cannonier. That's what we have in Calvin Gastelum. Gastelum, a bit of his back against the wall in this fight. He's lost four of his last five. He had a monster wrestling game, and that's what we saw in the Ultimate Fighter that won him tough, but he's only had 20% takedown accuracy in his UFC career and has really fancied himself a boxer, especially up at 185 pounds, where his speed has been his biggest advantage when he's light on his feet, bouncing in and out. He's a southpaw. That left hand has hurt people and caught them off guard. Cannoneer has shown strong kicks. We saw the way he damaged Anderson Silva. This is a guy who's beat Tony Lopez in Kuntilaba, and I mentioned the spider, just to see the range of opponents that he's been able to handle, whether they've been bigger, smaller, faster. You're going to have to mix things up to be effective against Cannoneer, who has looked optimal at 185 pounds, and is a guy that has 9 of his 11 finishes by knockout. I'm expecting an impressive performance, honestly, from Cannoneer coming back after the time away. The co-main event has UFC fan favorite Clay Guida. This will be his 57th MMA fight. Two and two in his last four. He's coming off of a win, taking on Denmark's own Olympian, Marco Madsen, who is 10-0. Three wins by knockout, three submissions, 2-0 so far in the UFC. An early knockout and just a complete ragdolling of Austin Hubbard his last time out. Featured fight. Chase Sherman against Parker Porter. That's your token heavyweight fight on the main card. Sherman has had a bare-knuckle boxing championship. The guy puts his combinations together, has devastating leg kicks. Well, Parker, 1-1 one one so far, suffered a short-notice loss, got it back 
in his last outing, he fights well in the clinch and has been more impressive than people expected. Vince Pichel versus Austin Hubbard at lightweight. Strong possibility that could be the fight of the night. Pichel, he makes fights dirty, he gets in there, and he just loves to brawl. Austin Hubbard came up on the regional scene showing off his wrestling ability. He's so far in the octagon, had his best outputs with his hands, taking advantage of Dakota Bush and also Max uh, Rodoff on short notice. So this is going to be a pivotal one, I think, for Hubbard going against a veteran like Pichel. We could see a title eliminator at 125 pounds. This fight should probably be much farther up the card. Honestly, Alexandre Pantoja is taking on Brandon Royval. Pantoja is the last person to beat Brandon Moreno, the current flyweight champion in the octagon. He's 3-2, counting 2019 and 2020. Pantoja, a former RFA champion. Eight submissions, eight knockouts, a big right hand, durable and versatile everywhere the fight goes. Brandon Royval, a four-fight win streak, was ended when we saw his shoulder dislocated against Brandon Moreno. He feels that that fight was just getting started, didn't have a chance to finish. So far, those four wins, they mean a lot. The last two in the octagon. The striking has come along, and Royval has great submissions. This one, as I said, could be and should be a title eliminator at 125 pounds. Move on down the prelims. Got a highlight, Luis Saldana versus Austin Lugo. Saldana coming in on a four, on a five-fight win streak for them, finishes... Big punching power out of the 145-pounder. Wolingo, 8-1, coming off of a decision win in his Octagon debut over Jacob Kilborn. Love the featherweights. These are two incredible prospects. At 135 pounds, Brian Kelleher. We know that that guy can pack power in the right hand. Great guillotine choke. Takes on Domingo Pilarte. Tricky head kicks. Uh, Ra uh, Ramiz Brahima versus Sasha Platnikov at 170 pounds. Brahima lost his UFC debut, but the guy has a technical submission game, great choke sequences, and is a willing participant to get in the brawl. Keeps his guard nice and high. Well, Sasha Platnikov loves to strike and has great kicks. Talking about a great arsenal of kicks to operate. So it's going to be who can put the fight in their realm. One last fight on that undercard to talk about Roosevelt Roberts versus Ignacio Bajamondes at 155 pounds. Both guys are six foot one. Enormous 155ers. Bajamondes, 11 wins, seven of them by way of knockout. Roosevelt Roberts came up through the contender series. Even though wrestling is his pedigree, grappling has been a strong suit. He does have two losses, one by submission, the armbar to Jim Miller from Kevin Kroom. One no contest, saves Roberts from a two-fight skid. Both of these guys, a lot of potential. Bajo Mondays, again, it's in the striking realm. Well, Roberts has shown potential in both the striking and the grappling. He excels with his wrestling. There's a lot of talent in that fight. And on the regional side of things this weekend... 
friends at Sparta Sports and Entertainment have a really cool event going on at the Outlaw Saloon in Cheyenne, Wyoming. It's bare knuckle spectacular, bare knuckle boxing, and MMA all on one card. Visit Sparta Sports and Entertainment on the internet to find out how to get the pay-per-view. And then locally here in Albuquerque, MMA returns on Saturday. Be at 1010 Candelaria Northwest, the Fit NHB Martial Arts Complex for Fight World MMA 19, a stack night of amateur action. Doors are going to be at 6. The first fight is scheduled for 7. Going to be a ton of fun. Check out the interviews also here on the YouTube page. We'll have a couple up this week in lead up to the event. And maybe even we'll get a hold of matchmaker John Judy to talk about the fight card coming up. One bit of news that I'm pretty sure I forgot to mention earlier is that Bellator MMA has officially announced the debut of Yoel Romero will be coming against Mr. Wonderful, the former light heavyweight champion of Bellator, Phil Davis, CageMinds.com. Full details on the when and the where for that card. Also, again guys, don't forget... Check out New Mexico Pro Shop where you can find all your Cage Minds apparel. And don't forget to keep up with us on social media. Cage Minds Combat Sports News on Facebook. Cage Minds underscore CSN on Instagram. The original at Cage Minds MMA on Twitter. The YouTube, if you're not watching it there, is Cage Minds MMA show and the podcast is Cage Minds wherever you find your favorite podcast. Please like, share, subscribe, follow, rate, and review. All those great things. It's much appreciated. I'm out. Thanks for watching.